Watashiwa Brandy Chastain. And Jamie of the California Storm. And you are now listening to the number one soccer-specific podcast in all of Sacramento. What is up, Sacramento soccer fans? And welcome to a special episode of the number one soccer-specific podcast in Sacramento, the Sacktown FC podcast. Part of the Beautiful Game Network and sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Raise your game and check them out at roughneckscarves.com. I'm your host, Luis, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, John. How are you doing, John? I'm doing well, Luis. It's a great day to to be a part of the community and of the Sacktown FC podcast crew. I'm, I'm blessed by what we're about to share with our, our community and even some information that they'll be getting over the next few days as it relates to some awesome news with a new partner. Yeah, super exciting times. And we can't wait for everyone to find out what that is, which you will be finding out soon. Or if, actually, you will have already found out by the time this podcast goes out. So, yeah. So today we're excited to be joined via the Makuni Dreamline by some very special and important people. One is a staple within the soccer community of Sacramento and has been a pillar of the California storm since 2010. The other guest has 192 caps for the U.S. women and almost 22 years of experience at the professional and international level. We welcome Executive Director of California Storm, Jamie Howard Lavoie, and Storm Board Member Brandy Chastain. Thank you all for joining us. How are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) All is good. All is good. So... Out of the gate today, I have to ask, as someone who grew up in Sacramento, knowing him and seeing how he developed talent around the, the region, how impactful was Jerry Zanelli to the growth of the women's game in this country? Well, I think, I mean, in so many huge ways, to be honest with you, because I think, one, as a leader, you have to you know, tip your hat to him because he saw value in women's soccer when maybe other people weren't seeing value there. and the amount of time and energy and resources he put into it to give players like myself, whether we were just coming out of college or we were on break from the national team, um, you know, he gave us a place to play and to keep our dreams alive. But I think also to try to inspire this next generation of young female players, whether they were youth players or even just maybe first year college players, you know, that there would be a place for them to play. Uh, when their college career would be done. And so, I mean, I think I look back on my career and without the storm, I I definitely know that I would not have been back on the national team. So, you know, I I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for Jerry Zanelli. I think his voice and his um, persona speak so deeply about his passion for women's soccer and that his commitment was greater than anybody else's. Yeah, and I I 100% agree. I mean, with what Brandy's saying, she was there through all of that. So it's nice that she had that firsthand experience. And I um, just talking with Jerry and everything and seeing the history and all the people that have come out of the woodwork and have just attributed, you know, their success to Jerry and and everything that he fought for. um, It's it just speaks volumes of that man was putting so much of his own money and his energy and everything. He he dedicated his whole life to women's soccer and developing it in this country. I mean, I could I could name so many wonderful players that played with me, uh, you know, from Julie Foudy, Christine Lilly, Leslie Osborne, Cece. Uh, I mean, so many international players that came through the storm at one point or the other. And I mean, national championships and, you know, representing Northern California in the light that it should be cast, which is one of the greatest regions we have in this country for talent for, for women's soccer and soccer in general. So, you know, I think he also helped us, kind of put that flag down in the ground about, you know, who we are and what we, you know, what kind of soccer we produce here. And he never wavered from that. And he gave the best halftime talks. (laughs) You should give some examples. (laughs) No, no, I love him too much. (laughs) (laughs) So this question is uh, for both of you. Um, how did you uh, get involved in the sport of soccer? 
my neighbor, I was about five and my neighbor had shin guards and I always thought it would be cool to like break a bone and I thought it would look like a cast. And so I asked my parents to sign me up for soccer so I could get some shin guards. That was my. <laughs> Wait, what year was that? Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's hilarious. Probably like 86. Nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Excellent. When yeah. they had the ankle guards, like the large, like caps in the ankle. So you couldn't yeah. break that part, but you'll break any other part of the ankle, right? Yeah. Well, I actually want to put them on my wrists and stuff though. So, you know. <laughs> so you want to play a goal? You want to play goalie? Uh, yeah, maybe. Nice. <laughs> she didn't know, obviously. No, I, no, I clearly had no idea. <laughs> so. uh, for me, it was in the mid seventies and it was not out of knowing anything about soccer. It was more so that my parents recognized they had a daughter who was very active and very aggressive and assertive and didn't mind getting dirty and would play in the street most of the time. So it just so happened that soccer came to our neighborhood. It wasn't that we, we didn't seek it out. Uh, it just kind of fell in our lap, to be honest. And we had zero experience with it on any level, but we walked down to the local school that was doing this, the registration and we basically signed up. I got my uniform and I went home. I don't think I ever took it off for like, I mean, I think my mom had to peel it off me in the middle of the night to wash it because I loved it so much and it was love at first kick. So I was, you know, probably just a little bit older than Jamie, but it was probably a decade before that. Um, and then, you know, then things took off soccer, you know, soccer was in full swing for the North American soccer league. And because I was playing and I enjoyed it so much. And my, my parents really enjoyed being on the sideline. My dad became the coach. He didn't know anything about soccer and we basically learned together and then we became season ticket holders. And I think that's what is so great about the storm. And, you know, even, you know, whatever league it is, to be honest with you, whatever community has a, a, a semi-professional, a professional team, you really have a, an opportunity to really influence your community in a positive way. The players become role models. The team becomes um, this model of, you know, what can we do in the community? They become community servants. You know, they help with the enjoyment and the, the happiness in a community. And, Player and people really, I think, band around that. And so for me, we became season ticket holders, and it was our weekend ritual was tailgate party, play soccer, you know, two v twos in between the cars, and then go and watch the game. And we made friends doing that. And so, you know, soccer has a, a wonderful way of bringing people together in a way that I think other sports do. But the passion that goes with soccer or football is unlike any other sport around the world. What, what team what was that that you guys went to support? The San Jose Earthquakes. Oh. So this the, is the when, this was back in the 70s when, you know, Pelé was playing and Beckenbauer and then on San Jose was George Best. So I got mm -hmm. to see some of the greatest players the world had to offer and I was mesmerized. I literally couldn't take my eyes off the field and kids would be running around the stadium. This is like, you know, it was a very safe environment where, you know, the parents would come with the kids and the kids would take off. And I was just, I was just glued. And um, my, my mom and dad would let me stay for, I mean, it felt like hours after games to get autographs. And I just remember how much that touched me as a player, you know, how, how amazing that felt to get that close to those players that I really admired. And so that kind of cascaded down on me when it was my turn to be that player and to wait for those two hours for the last girl who was waiting for an autograph and the look in her eye when she got it, it was just like, Oh my gosh, that just happened. And, you know, I think that's really important and very valuable and it's a very unique, um, in the in this day and age you know for for players and fans to get close uh, it just doesn't happen very often and it's it's really i think one of the the most precious parts of sports that if we could somehow bring that divide closer together and i think having a team like we will in sacramento you know with the storm and uh, and uh with major league soccer and hopefully sac republic that this will be an opportunity for fans and players to be close
That would be amazing if that is the case. I, I recently took my son to before it was last year. It was like the last game of the year. We went to a San Jose Sharks game mm. and my son is a big Brent Burns fan mm. and uh, Burns, he came out and he signed every child's Jersey. That's awesome. And he spent at least five minutes talking to him. And that was the first time I, as an adult have experienced an athlete taking the time to speak to a, a kid and my son wants to play hockey. And yeah. Like, well, all right, but there's no places here in Sacramento really for him to participate in hockey, but he'll get there. So yeah, I, I completely agree with that idea of, of being accessible as a team yeah. and a player. Um, so Jamie, as the executive director and the coach of the Storm, what has been the hardest part about this moratorium for the club? It's been really hard because we just don't know what's going on, you know, like when we're going to be able to start training, when, you know, how games are going to look, if we're going to be able to play games. So it's all been um, up in the air, you know, and as of right now, the league is really wanting to play. So um, they were talking about pushing back nationals and regionals. So we wouldn't have those. It would just be the conference, which to me, I, I just want the girls to get out and play. And that's how they're feeling too. They want to get out and they want to compete. Um, so it's, it's definitely been hard, uh, but we have to treat it like we are going to play. Um, so just trying to keep up the communication and do all the planning and registering players and doing it, all that Um so treating it as if, yeah, we are going to get out there. Because um, I really believe that in some capacity we will be out there. I just don't know to what extent. You just got to control what you can control. I mean, that's the same thing we're doing with our youth players. And, you know, the best, the best thing that I can do is continue to keep myself in front of them as much as possible through things like this meeting we're having or this conversation we're having. You know, I'm doing the exercises with them. I'm giving them creative things that they can do. Uh, on their own, you know, trying to get them stronger at a time right now where, you know, if we were in season, we wouldn't have a chance to do these little small little technical things or do this strength training. And I think in the long run, these will be things that will be beneficial for not just this season, but it will kind of set the standard for being prepared every season. And so I think there's some blessings to be counted mm -hmm. if we can in, you know, in these moments. Uh, what can we do, not what can't we do? John Wooden, that's a fav famous quote of his, you know, don't let what you can't do interfere with what you can do. And I think that's a really great mantra for right now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a great, great thing to, to follow, especially like you said, during this time when, you know, we don't know when sports going to come back. But, you know, like Jamie, like you were saying, I think what matters is that, you know, we get those competitive games and if, mm -hmm. you know, if all the soccer seasons just decide to just crown whoever, you know, gets the most wins, then, you know, that's, that's cool. <laughs> we yeah. have, as long as we get the sport back. So, yeah. um, Brandy, uh, what uh, led you to coming back to work with the storm? Well, like I, like I said, Luis, you know, being a part of the storm is kind of a part of my story. And I think knowing your, your story and have, and, your history is critical to where you're going to go in the future. And for me, my goal has always been to help soccer grow and to be um, valued in the way that I, that I love it and that I feel it should be. And, and that I think the, the game and the players um, deserve. And so, you know, I, I think part of it also is, you know, as, as Jamie, as, you know, an owner and a, as a, an executive and as a coach, you know, I think we need as many women continuing to stay in the game as possible in whatever capacity we feel we can give back. And that's always been, I think, shown to me by, that was shown to me by my parents. And so I feel that's a kind of a part of my personal life quest, I guess. And, um, and to be honest with you, I can tell you, well, I can't tell you because some of them shouldn't be shared. We've had some great times with Sac with the storm, you know, whether that be Sacramento storm of old California storm of now, like these players that would come and go through our, the years that we played international players, um, you know, local players, you know, college players who were just trying to get, you know, find a place to play because they just didn't want to give up on the game. I mean, it's so, it's such a precious commodity and it just, it was always a feel good place for me. So 
know, if there's anything that I can do to help a place that really helped me in a time when I was really, I was in between, right? I had been a World Cup champion and then I was cut from the national team and I didn't have a place to play. I was done with college and so I played with the, with the storm and then I decided to go overseas to Japan for a year and I came back. And without the storm, that probably wouldn't have been possible. So I think there's a, a great amount of gratitude and respect that I still feel that I need to pay back. And I think every player should feel that. So it's a solid point. You know, the, there have been a lot of players who've come through the ranks and you know, giving back to, to what you've gotten from, from, you know, not just the storm, but the community, it sounds like is, is what brought you back. So that's really cool. Yeah. Um, how are you two able to communicate with players during this time? What are, what are some of the things that they're able to work on? What is the big point that you're trying to get across before they, they hit the pitch again? Um, for storm, we're really hitting on like fitness, just getting touches on the ball. So a lot of individual ball work. Um, I mean, cause they're pretty limited to what they can do. Um, but it's, it's a lot of them are doing fitness. And the nice thing with some of the ones that are post-college is they already know kind of, they have their routines and things like that. So they can just kind of continue on what they've been doing. Um, but a lot of them, they, you know, they also would rely on, you know, pickup games or playing it indoor or futsal and things like that. We don't have that anymore. So um, we're doing a lot, just communicating over text. We're going to be doing um, some Zoom meetings as a team um, and just trying to check in and everything. And, and um, but they're, they're such competitive athletes that they, they will grind. They will work hard um, on their own, which is so nice to have. Um, and maybe, I don't know if Brandy, um, I mean, you have a, an extremely um, a great uh, college program over there. I don't know how you guys are communicating with uh, the players at Santa Clara. Yeah, I think it's the same. You know, we're, I think we're all in the same boat. We're using as much technology as we can to keep the players connected. And Again, I'm going to say it that this is a great time to work on the things that you just don't get to do when you're in a regular season. You just don't have time to slow down and pick at the details a little bit. And so for our players, I mean, let, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like uh, our players don't need work at the highest level. Even the, even the professionals work on the small details. And so for the Storm, not unlike any other team around this country, the more times you touch the ball, the better. And the relationship you have with the ball means that, you know, you're going to have a better, you'll have better composure uh, under pressure. And so if you can make good decisions under pressure, then nobody can take the ball away from you. You know, you'll understand the moments better. And so, you know, I think it really comes down to the little things and trying to drive that point home. And, you know, as Jamie says, you know, these are professionals, but even so, you know, they do need some support. And so to know that there's somebody out there kind of not keeping an eye on them, but supporting them in this moment, in this journey and saying, look, you're not by yourself. Your teammates are doing these things. Let's make sure that we all do it so that when we do come back together, we'll be ready to go. And the, the you know, maybe we'll just have to knock the rust off on the kind of the the flow and the fluidity of the game. But in terms of the, you know, the little details, we'll be way ahead of where we probably would have been anyway. So the, this question again is for both of you. Um, what is the biggest thing that each of you miss from playing the game? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many things. Jamie, do you mind if I go first? No, please do. <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, I think it's multifaceted, Luis, because I think the number one thing is just the, the connection you have with your teammates and the connection you make with the people who come to watch the, you know, the fans and, and that kind of arena that you get when you go to the field for a match is, you know, you don't get that anywhere else. So I think first and foremost, it's the people, the all the people, you know, your team, your staff, your, the administration, the, the collective group of fans that come and, just that feeling that you get when you get to put on your, your Jersey and you, you're together, like there, there's nothing more precious than that. Um, and so the camaraderie is really missed greatly. And I think that's why for, you know, the kids, it's very important that they still maintain this connection with, we see each other's faces, not just text something, you know, in a 140 characters or whatever, you know, is out there these days. Um, 
And then I would say just the laughter. I mean, gosh, we did so many funny, dumb, silly, awesome things with the storm. <laughs> like, I mean, like we would go to Las Vegas and like, you know, again, Jerry just, she, he always took care of the players, but you know, he also was, this was on his own dime. Right. And so we would go to Las Vegas and we'd stay at the truck stop and the, the numbers would be spray painted on the door. <laughs> we would be just dying laughing. It would be four of us to a room and we just didn't care. It was awesome. You know, we'd, we'd drop him off at the fancy hotel down the road and we'd go over to our hotel and, you know, but he was the man, he deserved that. And we were the players and we really, we were really, we had so much time. So, um, and so much fun together that it didn't matter. And we would go out and we would compete like mad and we would win the tournament, you know, like that was our, that was our thing. We were going to have as much fun as possible together. And then we would play as hard as we could together. And if you can create that kind of environment for your teams, then you're, you're almost unstoppable to be honest with you, because you just enjoy being together so much. Yeah. I, you know, obviously I didn't play nearly as high of a level as Brandy, but even for me, like, you know, my last game at Sac State, you know, I bawled like a baby because it was the same <laughs> thing. It was, you know, and, and I wasn't even that good of a player at Sac State. So it was like, but it was that same thing, that community and being a part of something special, being part of a program and, you know, just, uh, just feeling like you are coming together as a unit and working towards something bigger than yourself and the community aspect and, um, and all that. And so, uh, definitely, I definitely miss that. I feel like I still get a lot of those highs though, from being a coach and, and doing the storm. So, um, just still having my foot in the game has been just a therapy to my soul, you know? So, um, I think that's why I'm so passionate about, about the storm and everything. So you guys have obviously been playing for quite a long time and coaching for just as long. How much has the game grown for women since you both have started and currently coaching? <laughs> it, you, you almost can't even do the math on it. It's like, for, especially for my generation. I mean, I'm a Title IX. I, re, I was born before Title IX was enacted. And I think my generation probably was the first that was really impacted by Title IX. Uh, that you know, we were really we really took advantage for the first time of the ability to to use education as a vehicle towards a sports career. Um, not that we thought it was a career, to be honest with you. So that might be a, a a loose term to use in this circumstance because you know, we decided to play soccer because we love the game. We decided to play soccer because we loved each other. We decided to play the game because it just brought us such so much joy. You know, I think that if you look at where soccer was in that early 80s time when the first ever national championship happened in 1982 to present day, you know, I remember after the 96 Olympics, I was an ambassador <clears throat> for the – U.S. Olympic Committee, and I, they would send me to little pockets around the country that were all of a sudden really excited about soccer. And I remember going to South Dakota, where they had 100 girls had signed up for soccer prior to, you know, this whole big explosion of women's soccer in the 90s. And after that, it was 10,000 girls had signed up. And so if you think about that community, and that exponential growth in a very short time, and I'm talking months time, imagine the ripple effect throughout the country. I mean, we have a greater population playing women's soccer than anywhere else in the world. And so, you know, we, we should make sure that we preserve that. It's probably one of the greatest commodities that we have and a, a population of athletes who are also really thoughtful and caring and they contribute in ways that, are on the field and off the field. And so they're, they're very special. Yeah. For me, um, you know, I didn't even know we had a national team until um, it was uh, when the U S women's team started playing in the, they were in the United States, you know, for the world cup. And so um, I would see a little bit, you know, some clips and stuff online, but there was nothing like I never knew when they were playing. I never knew anything. There was no coverage. There was so, um, but it was 
it was uh, for me like that defining moment watching you know the, playing in the United States that World Cup with Brandy and everything and um, and then hearing you know CC's story that was the first time I had heard that about you know her playing with a doll head you know because it was illegal for girls to play soccer in Brazil so um, just how much the women have overcome and everything it just it shows how the game has changed for women and um and we still have a long way to go for sure but it's it's so nice to you know you drive by any park and there's girls out there playing and you know and there's just so many more opportunities now than there used to be so it's the interest is just overwhelming it's so great you have to think about you look at a country like england where the history of soccer is so deep right um you you look at that and you think in the late seventies, it literally was a law that they could not play. They could not play. The FA in England said women are not allowed to play. And you fast forward to think to seeing the players that are playing now, just think what would have happened there had that not occurred. They had, they had teams in the fifties of women who were playing soccer. Um, but then they were, then they were banned from playing. And so, you know, when Jamie says, you know, we're not there yet, we have a long way to go. It's because there's been these hurdles and these obstacles along the way that have really tried to derail what was happening. And there were so many women who were so persistent and men, Jerry Zanelli for, as one of them, for example, who decided they made it, an intentional choice that they weren't going to let that happen. And so I think for me, we do have places that we have to go, right? We need to have more funding. We need more sponsorship dollars. We need more television exposure. We, we, I would love to set up the league that can show other leagues how, you know, promotion and relegation and, you know, how does that impact things? Is that a way to go? Is it not a way to go? What kind of league could we have here where we could really leave soccer in the future knowing that it's going to be in its best place? Well, as a history teacher too, one of the things I always tell my kids is history repeats itself, right? Yeah. And you're talking about Title IX and kind of what's going on with the women's national team and everything else within soccer itself it's almost like it's starting to turn again to that point where women and men are, are needing to work together to make sure there's, there's equality within the game, right? We've, we've talked a little bit about how we can do that on our level, but I definitely see some, some similarities between the two. Well, there, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, for me, soccer is soccer. It doesn't matter who's playing it. Right. To me, soccer is genderless. It, it's, it's a game that is played by individuals and they come together and they collectively create a team and the team that can have the best continuity and appreciation and respect and trust for one another will be the most successful in the long run. And that doesn't, that's, that's a, that has no gender um, parameters. So um, I think we should all be rowing the boat in the same direction, yeah. you know, We're trying to help each other. We, we want the same things. And, you know, nobody should have their own personal power or ego be in the way of making the game the focus mm -hmm. and the safety and the sanctity of the game taken care of. Growth overall is a good thing, no matter what yeah. level, as long as the game keeps growing like it has over the last few years there's definitely a need for the equality piece too, to make sure everybody's getting. Well, that's a conversation. I mean, honestly, when I hear, you know, people chanting in the stands, equal pay, equal pay. And I'm thinking this conversation has been happening for 25 years. We have had the same conversation with the Federation and that's, and, and that's a good thing that they're continuing this fight, but it, it also kind of irks me a little to think that, hello, like this is not a new topic. This is like, you know, so many times Julie Foudy, Carla Overbeck went to the meetings with U.S. soccer and we came out and said, no, we're not signing a contract that in 2015 that would be putting us back in 2011. We're not doing that. Like that's, you know, that's that's not forward thinking. That's not looking at what you have and and recognizing the value of it. You know, just because you can say, oh, we're the U.S. women's national team, we win 
championships, just because you can say that doesn't mean that you don't have to value it as well. And so I think that's where we finally were, you know, we are rising up in this occasion. It's flooding over, right? It, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost as if we can't get out of the way of it now. Everybody knows it's not, it's not hidden. It's not a secret anymore. And so I think thankfully Cindy Parlow has, you know, had to step in as the, you know, the interim president. And I really feel that, you know, Cindy and I were roommates when she first came to the national team and she is a very thoughtful, very uh, diligent um, let's dig in the details and let's really do what's the right thing and the best thing um, not just for one group, but for the bigger picture and the longevity of something. So I'm really, I, I'm really excited and I'm very hopeful uh, where we're going. Yeah. Social media definitely drives a lot of that, that, that conversation as well too, with, with the growth of social media. So imagine had, had social media been a, a larger yeah. aspect during yeah. your time, the growth would, would definitely be there as well. Well, so. and we'd be, ta- we'd be having a different conversation. We'd be talking about how much we hate VAR or what are we, <laughs> <laughs> or don't get us started on VAR. Or, oh. or our real, <laughs> See that if in, I'm okay with it, but or, everybody else. <laughs> or our real referees even needed anymore. I mean, oh. you know, like mm-hmm. imagine if there was a game, imagine if at the highest level there was a game and no referees were there, what would happen? No, no. Refer- I mean, we, we grew up refereeing ourselves, yep. you know, you playing pickup games and everybody knows what is a foul and what's a fake. And everybody knows if the ball was, you know, sometimes you don't know if the ball's over the goal, the end line or not, but you work it out, you know, <laughs> Figure it out, right? <laughs> you rock, paper, scissors it, or you, whoever's stronger, you know, whatever. In my case, when I was playing against Julie Foudy, I just took the ball away from her and I said, it's mine. You know, like that's how it goes sometimes. Poor Julie. Jeez. I know. <laughs> poor Julie. Yeah, that's because she has these little twig arms, you know? Yeah. She misses le- she she had she goes to leg day, she misses arm day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But you always get that one person that's like everything's a foul, you know what I mean? You barely mm-hmm. touch them, they fall or foul, you know. So. Yeah, we're CC. That's CC. That's CC, yeah. Flopper. <laughs> Whopper puts me through the washing machine and it puts all and, and yeah. But you didn't call that foul, huh? Oh, I, I wanted to break my own ankle and just call a foul that she stepped on it to get around me, but no, no, no dice. We still need to find out if there's a video of that, John. There no, is I not. want to see that. It was before, it was before videos. It was at the Martinez Sports Complex. If they have security cameras, I'm sure they can pull that out. (laughs) All right. We'll have to talk to them until we can get that posted somewhere. Um, So going back to the um, California storm, um, would you two say that the NWSL is the next step in the evolution for this great club? Um, definitely our goal is to play at the highest level possible. So whether, you know, it's where we're at or it's NWSL, um, you know, we, we want to take this as far as we can. So I definitely think that there's a need for a team in California, uh, for the NWSL, cause there's no representation. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see something in Sacramento and maybe something in Southern California, um, but for us, it's to play at the highest level, um, to be there for the community and to develop the game to the best of our ability. So, you know, whether it's NWSL or not, you know, that's, it's, we're going to do everything we can to take it to the next level. We're excited about that. The NWSL needs, needs some growth. I, I know, uh, Boston has recently, uh, lost their team if I'm not mistaken, and so there's, there's definitely a need to, for some more representation for, for clubs in the NWSL. So. Well, I think if you look at it as well, I mean, you have to look at the places where soccer is so heavy populated with, you know, young girls playing. California, I mean, you, you wouldn't have to go anywhere outside of the state to find players good enough to participate in this, in this league. And mm-hmm. so there's obviously, wherever there's a youth team there's a college team there's you know an adult team and there should be a professional team and and i know that the the that the driving forces is always resources and Mm -hmm. having having a team in california is very expensive and so you know for the most part that's the precluding factor right we can't we can't get that because we want to be able to pay them 
not just a living wage, but, you know, their value to, you know, then you have to find a place for everybody to stay and live. And that becomes very expensive. You know, when we were, when we had the WSA and we were playing at Spartan stadium, I think it cost something like $60,000 just to open the gate. And then you had to deal with everything else on top of that, paying for people to work security and the concessions and, you know, and the list goes on. And so when, you know, I have stars in my eyes, I want professional women's soccer here in California. Mm -hmm. But the reality is if we don't find the people who have these deep resources that can incur maybe a few years of hardship in terms of really getting our roots in and maybe we find a way to secure housing that's, you know, makes sense. And we have our, maybe our own field or our own stadium, then we can really do something. Um, but that, that is really what the quest is right now is to find those people who are visionaries like it, like previously, John Hendricks was a perfect example. I mean, he understood how important this league would be for the, tens of hundreds of thousands of young girls and, and boys um, to come to a stadium that would have a WSA team. And it, it proved true. The only reason that the WSA went away was not because the soccer wasn't good. It was because the business wasn't, it, it, they didn't do a good job in the business model. So I think now we, we have experience and now we should use that experience so that we can now grow this league in places where soccer is valued at the highest level. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. Um, you both experienced the highs and the lows of soccer. Can each of you please briefly describe your soccer moment, that feeling of this is what this game was, was about or is about? I mean, I feel like because I was never like that amazing of a player you know I had mine obviously at the lower levels but um, mine's more been a, like coaching and watching the game you know so um, a big defining moment for me you know was obviously the the women's national team you know and Brandy ripping her shirt off and you know and all that it stood for for women's soccer and everything it just it it made so many people believe that you could follow your dreams and that this could be something big and um and then you know just uh um I was coaching a college game one time and uh, I remember we were, um, you know, the other coach, another team, obviously there's a lot of banter and everything going on and they didn't, you know, um, we weren't expected to win and, and um, we were winning in overtime and it was like pitch black out and the, the ref <laughs> wouldn't call the game because, you know, we weren't the home team. So he was trying to give the other team a chance and you could even see the ball out there. And, and finally, when they blew the whistle, you know, it was just that like overwhelming of like, okay, this is, we worked so hard for this and, you know, and, and that accomplished feeling was, was amazing despite, you know, officials and playing in the dark and, and all that we had worked because we had gone from dead last in league to first so it was a big joke of WTF, like, you know, what happened, but also worst to first. So it was, um, but I thought that was a pretty cool coaching moment for me. So. Awesome. Definitely. I, I, I think, Jamie, I, I don't like that you say, you know, because I didn't play at this, you know, whatever level, I don't think that that's relevant in all fairness, to be honest mm -hmm. with you, because, you know, whatever level you are, the, the, the emotions and the feelings are the same. Um, it doesn't matter if it's five people watching on the sideline or 90,000 people on the sideline. You know, I mean, I think the gifts that the game give are so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I have, you know, I've had obviously some really great highs and I've had some, some lows as well. And, um, you know, I think some of my favorite moments are the moments that have stayed with me, which is, you know, I scored an own goal in the world cup in the quarterfinal against Germany and, you know, that's probably the most egregious thing you can do as a soccer player, right? That's the greatest error ever is to score on your own team. But in, you know, just as that moment happened, then the greatest thing happened, which was here comes Carla Overbeck and this kind of teamwork and this camaraderie I was talking about earlier. And she said, ah, don't worry about it. You know, we, we have a lot of the game left. I mean, it was only six minutes into the game, for God's sakes. And we're down one to nothing against Germany in the quarterfinal where all the media was saying, 
if the U.S. women's national team doesn't win the World Cup, then all of soccer, the future of soccer, what Jamie is doing, what we're talking about, will not even exist. It will cease to exist in, in the universe. And so that was like, whoa, that was kind of, that was quite a moment. But yeah. then Carla said that to me and she says, don't worry, you're going to help us win. And I was like, okay. And because of, I trusted her because I respected her because, you know, when she talked, people listened, you know, leadership was a really big thing right in that moment. You know, she changed my life. You know, she helped me remember that it's not the mistakes that you make. It's not the errors that, you know, okay, you give the ball away or you miss the goal. It's what you're going to do next after that. Like what's your character and what, you know, what kind of resolve do you have? And I scored another goal in that game. Thank goodness for our team this time. And, you know, we went on, as you know, we went on to the semifinals and the finals. And, um, but it's just moments like those, you know, when you can look down the field or even as a coach now, when something happens on the field and a player looks at me and I look at them and we know we get it. Like we're seeing the same thing and we're, and it's like a thumbs up, like you did it. And their eyes just light up. Like those are like, I even get chills thinking about it right here. Just like, you know, those are really spectacular moments that um, I think sport gives us a chance to experience. Um, and of course, when you hear the crowd of, you know, 90,000 cheer, I mean, you'll never forget that. Um, but it doesn't take 90,000 people to make you experience the great gifts that, that soccer have to offer. So true. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's so amazing. You know, how, how much a a sport can do and, and, you know, it's, it's great to, to go through those moments. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So uh, Brandy, I know you were mentioning community earlier, so I thought I'd ask this, um, what does community mean to each of you and how important is it to the storm? Well, I mean, community for me is synonymous with the word team, right? So it doesn't matter if, you know, you can call your community your family, you can call your community your friends. I mean, I think teams are literally, you know, they're a community that has an ability to really touch people in a way that will change their lives forever. I know after the WUSA folded, as an example of this community, Myself, our manager and general manager, sorry, our general manager, Marlene Bjornsrud and Julie Foudy, we put our brains together, which equaled one brain. And then, um, <laughs> well, that's because Julie is like a negative. That's why. Oh. <laughs> Man, Julie, poor her. Julie is just, she gets beat uh, up tonight. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be on a, listen, I'm going to be on a call with her on um, Thursday. We're showing the 1997 uh, USA versus England game. U.S. Soccer is putting it out on their Facebook Live, and it was at Spartan Stadium. It was the first time we played in California, and we had the biggest crowd of fifteen thousand seven hundred and fifty. And you know, I'm going to get it on Thursday, so I'm putting it out there. Right now. Now. I know it's coming my way. <laughs> right. um, but so you know, after that league folded, you know, we knew that we had something really special that we really that a population of young people coming to see people who represented themselves, like that was a, that was priceless, but now we weren't going to be able to do that, but what could we still do in the community that would make a difference? And so we started a nonprofit for girls and we've since 2004, we've been going strong and we started with 11 girls and we've had over 20,000 girls in the Bay area women's sports initiative. And we take collegiate female student athletes and other women who want to stay involved and, and be a part of something that's changing the community in a positive way. And we've, we've hit over 20,000 kids. And, you know, to think that those girls would never have had an opportunity to, and we're not teaching soccer, we're not teaching basketball, we're teaching them how to feel good about themselves and how to take, take a, a real, you know, firm grasp on their health and their wellness and their having a voice and being confident and, and learning this community sense where they've never felt that before. You know, I remember going up to one girl and I put my hand up like this and, you know, in sports, that would be an immediate high five, not any longer, obviously. Um, but, but that, but that connection, she kind of looked at me like, Whoa, what are you doing? And I had to teach her, you know, look, we're coming together. We're going to be one. And so that right there to me, that that's a community. And that community has a chance to change the paradigm of, you know, and the social 
either the social awareness or the lack of awareness to a population and a group that really could do some great things if just given a chance. So um, I know with the storm, uh, as you know, as a player there, I remember, you know, being at the games and, the, and we would have very consistent fans that would come and we became friends and we became like, Hey, it's game time. We're all there together. And, you know, and so I think that's really a priceless gift. And, and, and I hope that this comes across as it's intended, which is, you know, when you're not the elite league of all elite leagues, you really do matter almost more Mm -hmm. because you get to, you, you live in the community, you share in the things that they share and, you know, you see each other at the grocery store and you, you know, you have the same things that you're trying to deal with on a regular basis. And that makes you human. And I think that human element is really what, when it comes down to it, Luis, this is the element that matters the most. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I 100%. I mean, that's spot on, you know, for us. Like some of the things we do, um, like we partnered with Vice Mayor uh, Pippin Du in Vallejo, and we do a free clinic down there every year in um and we, you know, get the girls soccer balls and t-shirts and we focus on like underserved communities and it's using soccer as a tool to reach the community and to teach them about confidence and um, setting goals for themselves and healthy lifestyles and all that. So, um, and then this year um, we did with uh, Kevin McCarty, uh, assembly member, and um, we did, uh, you know, another free clinic and get it out there. And, and for us, the community is everything. So it's, you know, like what Brandy was saying about it, it makes it human, you know, and just getting to know them on a personal basis and saying that you can achieve your dreams and soccer is such a great tool to help teach you about sportsmanship and goal setting and uh, and just positive ways to live your life um so it's for us it's a tool so for you know me and what i'm doing with the storm i feel like community is the biggest aspect of this and um we have a lot of the girls you know We've had players that followed us down to, you know, San Francisco and the Bay Area and stuff to games, you know, fans like as a family. And uh, just because, the, you know, they made a connection with a specific player and we spend time after every game, you know, talking to the, the fans and doing autographs and pictures and, and just trying to to facilitate that relationship because it's bigger than soccer. It's bigger than anything that that we are individually. So we really look to make a difference as a unit. Jamie and Brandy, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes. Uh, we enjoyed the conversation and hope, uh, hope to be doing this more in the future once soccer picks back up. And send our best wishes to Leslie. I know Friday is a big day for her. So yes. uh, make sure you, you send our uh, support out for her and we will uh, be talking to you guys soon. In the meantime, how can people uh, get a hold of you or, or find out what the storm is up to? Um, the best way is for our social media, um, just to follow us at calstormsoccer.com or calstormsoccer and uh, on our website, calstormsoccer.com. Um, and I've got, you know, my email is jamie at calstormsoccer.com. So if anybody wants to reach out or anything, um, we are doing, uh, some of the girls are doing virtual trainings with some of the soccer teams in the area. So uh, if they're interested in doing that, we'd love to connect you guys. And um, any way that we can help, um, you know, even if it's just like a, a way to talk and communicate, you know, with um, like some of the girls too, even if it's not a Zoom training, if they want to, you know, just have like a question and answer too, we'd love to do something like that. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about making that happen. So we'll, we'll definitely get that in the pipeline. We'll talk a little bit later about how we can do that. So thank yeah. you guys for your time. We really enjoyed every second of it. Yeah. Uh, Brandy, good luck uh, this week with Julie on uh, U.S. Soccer's Facebook Live. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. It's, uh, let's see, what time is it? It's 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock uh, Pacific time. Awesome. Well, we look forward to hearing you, and we will see you guys shortly. Thank you so much. Take Thank care. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Today's guest was brought to you by the Mikuni Dreamline. Mikuni is offering 15% off your order and has made it easy to order with the Mikuni app. Please make sure to pre-order, stay in your car when you arrive, and they'll deliver your meal straight to your car. Visit them today at mikunisushi.com or download their app available on the App Store or Google Play Store. So we are on social media. We are on most of the top platforms out there. 
Um, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us on at SacktownFC. On Facebook, we actually have a Facebook page called Sacktown FC Podcast, which is actually close to reaching 100 likes. Maybe by the time this podcast goes up, it'll already be over 100. So thank you, everyone, for uh, joining and liking that page. We also have a Facebook group called Sacramento Republic FC Fans. Welcome all fans to join, you know, come join, talk to other Sacramento Republic fans and, you know, get to know what's going on in the community and especially in the soccer community as well. And if any of you are gamers out there, especially if you like to play FIFA 20, we actually have gamer tags for both Xbox and PlayStation. If you want to add us on Xbox, you can find us under Sacktown FC. If you're more of a PlayStation person, you can find us under Sacktown underscore FC. If you challenge us on Xbox, it'll be me. And if you challenge us on PlayStation, it'll be John. So, you know, challenge us, send us a message, let us know that, you know, you want to play against us and, you know, we'll set up a time. Um, all that we do ask is that you don't rage quit. If you rage quit, sorry, we're going to have to call you out because, you know, you should take the L if you rage quit. And likewise, if we take the L, then, you know, we, we will play all the way till the end. So. Yeah. We can also be found on our own website at sacktownfc.com. Um, here, you know, you can learn how the show came together. It's pretty interesting. I actually go into detail on how the show came about. Uh, you can also check out our latest episodes. Um, if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to download an app, no worries. You can actually listen to every single episode on there as well. Um, you can also contact us. If you have any questions to ask us, Anything you want to ask us, or maybe if you have comments, feedback on the show, you name it, let us know right there, and then we'll reach out back to you shortly afterwards. You can also sign up to be a part of the Squadron, which is a form of a supporters group where you can get access to our Slack channel, you could enter into a lottery for Mikuni or New Glory functions with us, and scores even some swag with our new logo. Um, so check that out. You know, we would really appreciate you know any any support for that it really helps us out a lot you know we do have costs that go with you know putting out podcasts and we can only keep growing if we have more uh, money to spend so you know please help us help us grow this podcast that's right man we could always use the help to support this program to to get it out to a larger audience and make our make us stand out even more. I think that's the big thing is we, we have a dream and you've helped us get there for those of you who've listened and we only continue to grow. So we really appreciate everything you've done for us. Yeah. And be, be on the lookout on, on social media because, you know, in the coming weeks, we're going to be actually um, working on creating some more merchandise with our logo. So some of you may have already seen, you know, we've um, done polls out there too, to ask you what, Kind of merchandise you would want to get with our logos so check that out because you know we're super excited to get our brand new logo on all kinds of merchandise are you tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from nike and adidas looking for a unique completely custom kit for your youth club sunday league squad adult or even pro team icarus fc can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. That's all we have today for this special episode of the Sacktown FC podcast. We want to thank our partners, the California Storm, and most importantly, Brandy and Jamie for taking the time to join us today. And also to you for listening. And remember, we're going to be dropping podcasts twice a week. So make sure you have your notifications on as we know you don't want to miss it. And make sure you subscribe and give us some positive comments. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day.